Hello, and welcome to Success at Scale, the podcast that covers business stories from experienced entrepreneurs, business leaders, and startup founders on how we translate business ideas to business results. I'm your host, Greg Stein, and today we're going to talk live with Thor, uh, founder of Strata, a relationship intelligence company. Thor, thank you so much for joining Success at Scale today. I can't wait to learn more about you. It's the first time we're even meeting, so I, I can't wait to learn. So anyways, let's get right into us. Get into it. Tell us yeah. about you. <clears throat> Great to be here, first of all. I appreciate it and, and look forward to the conversation. So uh, I am a startup guy, I guess. It's generally, when people ask me what I do, I say some version of either tech or startups, and uh, I'm from Iceland originally, and when I try to talk to my family about it, it's just the conversation ends there. There's no concept for what either one of those two things mean other than like fixing printers. Um, <clears throat> but the reality of it is that everything I've done over the past 20 years is obviously with other people. And, you know, those kinds of relationships, whether they're co-working relationships or friendships or whatever it might be, um, there's unfortunately no good tools to manage them. And this is something I realized many, many times where I kick myself when I need to talk to somebody about something and realize the last time was five years ago or 10 years ago in some cases. Uh, so it's just kind of crazy that there's no actual tools to help you stay in touch. LinkedIn and others kind of scratch the surface. And it was just, I've started a handful of companies and in each one, it's always like, who do I know that knows something about this space? Who do I know that knows more about it than I do? Who do I know that's investing in this space? And how do I just have a conversation with all of them and figure stuff out? That's amazing. So how did you get into all of this? We'll, we'll come back to your company in a minute, but how yeah. did you break into it all? So I started with it because I was doing contract work um, <clears throat> as a software developer. And uh, short version is I wasn't allowed to work for a big company because I, I like I said, I didn't have a, a work visa at the time, but I was allowed to own an LLC. So I got into startups by way of, of, I guess, sort of weird tax situations where <clears throat> as a result, I could start a company and then work with other startups and do all this stuff uh, as long as I wasn't an employee anywhere. And that was yeah, literally 20 years ago. And then I never looked back. That's amazing. Now you studied computer science. Did I get that right? Yeah. And so when you were studying computer science, you know, I have a, I have a son who's... Uh, He's uh, about to go to school for computer science and you ask him what he wants to do and you get some kind of stare, right? <laughs> uh, were you making that stare back in the day when you were doing uh, computer science or did you have a vision that this is what you would be doing? It's a good question. My entry into, into uh, computer science is really around problem solving. And, um, and I thought most problems that I saw at the time, 2000, 2001, 2002, we're all sort of technology flavored problems. So how do you scale this? How do you drive this? How do you get this running on this device? How do you, whatever it might be. Right. And then from working with a whole bunch of startups, helping, helping small businesses go online, helping mid-sized businesses incubate new stuff, or even building my own companies, uh, I realized that <clears throat> all these problems that I thought were people or uh, tech problems are actually people problems. And that technology was kind of a, like it's important, obviously, but, but the bigger thing is, uh, is basically human behavior. How do you actually understand human behavior at a massive scale and, and use technology to address 
whatever might come up there. Um, and that's certainly not what I thought when I was studying technology, but it, it's a, you know, you see the same movie a few times and you realize how the, what the plot's going to be. And it's always like, oh, there's problems with the co-founders, but you need to re-engineer every piece of technology here. It's like, probably not. Right. But it, it is interesting, though, when you when you plot a path, uh, it, it you know, you think you're going to get it right. You think you've got it nailed down. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't go the way you thought it might go. You've I'm sure you've experienced that a few times. Always. Actually, every single time it doesn't go the way you thought it was going to go. <laughs> Well, uh, on that note, uh, you recently posted uh, something, uh, I don't know if it was on LinkedIn or somewhere uh, that I saw, um, you know, at a big company, it's risky to take on a project or responsibility that's outside of your your job description. And you said uh, at a startup, it, it's literally uh, your job, take on whatever the team needs. Um, you know, let me just ask you, you know, is that a, a mindset that, you know, you do everything or or do you actually do everything? Like, how, how do you think about this? Well, <clears throat> hopefully it doesn't lead to you do everything. That, that's a kind of the, the downside of that. But, um, but really what it means is that at a big company, if you are and you look you know, behind you, you have a, a full kit and other instruments and see a guitar and I see a few other things. If you're the drummer, you're, you're not going to burst into a performance and take the guitar over from the lead guitar guy. That's right. That you never want to do that. <laughs> you never want to do that. That would be very strange. Um, but if you're in a big company, it's kind of the same thing. If you're in design and there's a product manager and there's an engineer and there's a head of this or head of that, and then there's a whole division doing something similar but different, like it's the same kind of thing. If you try to like get somebody's client from wealth management and sell them some other financial services solutions at some bank. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So you get shut down in the same way because right. you specialize and you do your job and anything outside of that job, you're probably stepping on somebody's toes. Oh, but man. in a startup, yeah, you nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah. So in a startup, you don't have those kinds of walls. You don't have the, like, when you see a problem and you jump on it to solve it. Well, then the problem is really just solved and somebody benefits as long as the culture and the environment and the structure is set up to, to help uh, move the ball forward. You also have to do your job. Yeah. So in a startup, it's really about how do you get the thing done that you're committed to doing? Plus, if there's other stuff that comes up, great, do that too. Uh, and I can give you countless examples of that. And it's, it's really like <clears throat> all comes down to a few simple heuristics. The most, most helpful in my experience is to put the customer first. If you're doing something that benefits your customer in some way and is not a part of your job, fine. If you're doing it because you want to do it and you don't want to do your job, then that's a different problem. <laughs> so <clears throat> there's a lot of structures you can use to, to sort of help uh, understand how to drive, I guess, th those types of teams. Yeah. But they're fundamentally different from a large company. And that was really the point of that message is that it's... Uh, in a in a big company, everything you do pretty much is a liability if it's not directly related to whatever your bonus is, whatever your target is, whatever your job is, right? And and it's it's a uh, it's a funny thing. I talk to executive teams all the time, and generally, like at the big big companies, generally the CEO will have the same message, something to the effect of customer driven learning environment, uh, competing with Amazon, very common in every industry now. 
um, or becoming the this of that, becoming the Uber of healthcare. So <clears throat> great. And then I ask a question like, so your teams should be like adopting some of these mindsets around experimentation, right? And then connecting with customers and learning about all those things. And the CEO is like, yeah, we have to, otherwise we die. Great. So then I ask the executive team with the CEO in the room. So raise your hand if you've done anything like that in the last quarter, even one thing. And it is exceptionally rare that even a single hand goes up, right? Because wow. they're managed by quarterly results and they have to hit them. And that's that. And doing this other things that are interesting, even in innovation teams, actually innovation teams, since we're on video <clears throat> or strategy or whatever you want to call it, they still don't actually push and try to do proper experiments, properly learn and think about their customers. Um, and a lot of it is this mindset of, of you stay in your box and then that's that. It's funny. I, I listened to a um, recently a, a uh, podcast type thing with a guy who founded um, Harry's uh, Shave Club yep. and um, also Warby Parker. And, you know, he was kind of saying the same thing that, you know, it, it's he he was going to the next extreme. Right. It, when they're talking about the shaving club and all of that, he said, look, we would go out there and camp out uh, in the stores, in the aisles and literally like make it an event, a part of our day, every day, all day, talking mm -hmm. with customers and interacting with them on the front lines. Um, I, I think you're spot on. And I'm so glad to hear you say it. So speaking of staying productive. I got my next question for you is this. Uh, how do you stay productive? What's your hack for, for, for staying productive? Yeah, it's a good question. So the, the biggest hack, I guess, is uh, try to prioritize what to do, but also what not to do. <clears throat> so there's always going to be way too many things that you should be doing or need to be doing. Uh, and the way we do it is a modified OKR system where we as an organization every year, every quarter, then every month, sort of pick what are the things we need to um, not just make sure we get done, but like, what are the goals we have? Like, we also have to do the things we have to do, but if we're trying to launch a product, we need to get to a certain number of users. So great, so how do we get there and sort of work backwards from that? And how do we maybe double or triple that number and work backwards from that? <clears throat> and it helps you sort of see what systems are broken in the short term, because it's easy enough to say you want to get somewhere, but if you're not set up to do it, it's, it's hard. But it also let me just interrupt you there for a second. OKRs, objective key results. Not everybody might be familiar with that tech terminology, something I, I use myself, but uh, just making sure everybody's on the same page. Objective key results. There you go. I love it. There you go. And it really is a, the way we use it. It's just a goal with some sort of measurable outcome and yeah. not much else beyond that. Uh, and then each team puts together the resources they need to achieve it, which includes budget, includes everything sort of in one, one little package. Um, but then personally, just go through that process. So here, here are the things we are working on. Here are the things we're working on for the month. And then here are the things that I'm working on right now that will contribute to that. <clears throat> and it's usually, as a CEO, it's usually some flavor of very limited number of things. Cool. Recruiting, fundraising, and maybe a couple of others. Amazing. Now, how many people do you have on your team right now? So there's so at Strata it's still small. We have about a dozen people, and then at at uh, have another company that started a while ago now. I guess seven, almost eight years ago now. Um, I was towards a hundred. I think we're we're shrank a little bit during COVID, but 
And then I've, I've started others where it's the scales to about probably 300 people is probably the breaking point. Um, it starts getting creaky a little bit beforehand where autonomous teams need a bit more structure. Yes. <clears throat> so what I like to do is about 60 or 70 start putting uh, functional leaders in place as well. So everything works, like I just said, until that point where teams run kind of independently with uh, a lot of cross team collaboration and single goals across the whole organization and then sort of fragmented in or fractally distributed into the rest of the teams. Um, And then you start having product management, engineering, strategy, customer success, whatever it might be layered in where it gets a little bit more complicated, but try to keep it to as small as possible to get the job done as a single unit and then have that unit as close to the customer as possible. So, so let's talk about you personally. Um, and I, I do want to come back to the whole COVID nonsense. It'd be fun to, you know, just kind of talk through, you know, what you experienced in a business setting. I don't mean to minimize COVID uh, for anybody that's listening. Uh, it's been a horrible, horrible experience for like everybody. Pre-recorded caveat. Whenever yeah, exactly. They were like, oh, by the way, now here, here's my legally approved recording. Right, exactly. <laughs> Um, but anyways, back to my back to my question. So, um, you know, l- let's just talk about you for a second. Let's talk about you. Um, let's talk about, you know, you're doing all of these productivity hacks. You, you're managing the business. You're scaling the business. But how do you find balance for you? Uh, and what is your kind of routine? What does your day look like? Sure. So I find balance in... Honestly, just in that and like understanding that these OKRs and again, you don't really have to think of them that way, but you know, these goals, they apply to a lot more than just your work. Right. So whether it's personal things like travel, for example, this is a big uh, aha moment for me, uh, maybe about 15 years ago, actually almost exactly 15 years ago, where <clears throat> I realized that it's something I wanted to do. And I like thought of myself as somebody that travels and does these things and whatever. And then I looked back on what I'd done over the last five years and had none of it. So I would like to myself, I was like internal narrative of like, oh, I do these things. But in reality, my actions didn't match them. So at that point, I realized that I needed to be a little bit more uh, intentional in all of this stuff. So if I want, you could call it balance, but if I want to you know, focus a lot on work and that's fine, and then that comes at you know, the expense of other things or vice versa. Right? But you can actually do all of it. You can actually have a great family life, personal life, work life, uh, all these things, hobbies even. And, and uh, it just takes being intentional with your priorities and, and really just saying no, saying no to things that are not a part of it. And then, <clears throat> so I'd say the, the probably most helpful thing for me was actually choosing what I wanted to do and then doing it. That's great. You know, it's funny. I just did a a podcast uh, yesterday. We shot with a a great friend of mine. He's a top PR executive uh, in the consumer technology space. Uh, And he was talking about, look, you need to map out all areas of your life. 
uh, and uh, he actually has a, a phenomenal book. Uh, you're going to get a kick out of it. It's called How to Be Fan-Fucking-Tastic, and it just showed up uh, this morning after we shot the uh, the interview, and I couldn't put it down. But uh, anyways, the, the point is, you know, I think you're right. You really need to be intentional about all areas of your life, and so often we just get involved in business, and we think just business, 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 but then we forget about everything else. So yeah. – um, Potentially, that's the the secret sauce, as they say, uh, to finding balance. But we'll see. Um, so, so now let's shift to your to your current business. Uh, and before I, I'm going to ask you a very leading question: Are relationships everything? And if so, why? It's what it says on your website. It is what it says on our website. Um, <clears throat> so the answer is yes, <laughs> and because. Everything you do in life, whether almost everything, um, is with other people, right? And it's in the context of other people and you do it with people. So like you want to sell something, it requires a buyer and a seller. You want to do a service. You want to do something that's fun. Let's say it's a piece of art. Generally, there's somebody that makes it and somebody that views it. Or in your case, you play something, but generally you're playing for somebody. Right. Point is that there's another human being in that exchange. Right. Even if what you're doing is intrinsically for you, it's almost always in some context with other people. We're social animals. We do these things intentionally um, and without, sometimes even without realizing. And, um, and what we learned, really, I mean, it was like an intuition, but then we validated it through a series of interviews and tests and product launches and all like the startup, sort of entire startup toolkit to figure out where we should focus uh, is that people will tell us like senior, senior people will tell us their biggest regret in their career is not staying in touch with people they worked with over the decades or that um, take a, a VC, even a phenomenally successful VC. There's tons of them. Well, like, oh shit, I got to go fundraise. I got to talk to these LPs. I got to go do, I haven't talked to them in three years since our last fund. I, I wish I'd stayed in touch with them. And we found that across the board. Um, senior people, but also even, even um, earlier career people, you know, their biggest problem often was managing what they consider the most valuable asset, which is their relationships. And, um, and when you think about it, again, it doesn't matter if it's work or if it's for fun or for a hobby or whatever, there's these people that come and go in your life that I'm sure you can relate to regretting not staying in touch. And that your life would be richer in some way. You would be better in some way. You would be you know, more fulfilled in some way, whatever it might be, happier maybe even, if you had. So that's really the problem we're solving is, is how do you use technology? Now, how do you use, again, AI? Lots of air quotes in this one. Um, but, but really, though, to help understand and manage the relationships that, are, that you have in your life. Absolutely. I love it. So, so it's called, your, your platform is called Strata. Yeah. Yeah. Why Strata? So we went through a, a bit of an exercise to, to figure out what um, best conveys this notion of you have different kinds of relationships in your life, right? So you have people that might be sort of passing and that could be intentional. You can't stay in touch with everybody you meet. You have a, maybe a barista you see every morning and you say hello and then fine. Or you might have a realtor you talk to once and then hopefully never again in your life <laughs> or something like that. Not to hate too much on realtors, but I think everybody can relate to that. 
So, um, so that's one category where it's a little bit transactional. Uh, you're not going to invite them to your wedding, most likely, and whatever, but you're friendly with them. Right then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have your brother or your sister or your parents or people that you are staying in touch with, hopefully, no matter what. You're texting every day or something like that or your regular basis. And then you have everybody in between. And that's where it gets really gray and, and kind of messy. So people, the best way I've heard to capture it, is um, a friend <clears throat> that called them, uh, that his goal when he meets somebody in a business setting is to build a friendship, but he wants it to be a friendship with transactional benefits. So first they're friends, but if something happens down the road in some way, fine. And then it might happen again, fine, <laughs> but they're friends first. And those are his best relationships, best like business relationships. And he's um, a very senior guy at, a, um, I think the most successful hedge fund. Uh, anyway, so the, like, if you think about what those relationships are, really, you're trying to get somebody, let's say they start here, you're trying to move them up a little bit, and you're trying to have your network grow, but not just by the number of connections, really, it's by the quality of those connections. So what we do is we measure relationship strength across the board. And how do you then increase that increase, I guess, the value you're building or investing in your own connections and your own network? And then how do you help manage all that over time? Uh, and you know, if you think of it as like stratified layers, you're trying to move up. If you think of it as ways to um, to sort of capture who people are to you, that's another stratification. Um, and then there was a couple other couple other connotations that we liked about the name, but that's really how we got there. The original the original project name was RAI and, and stayed like that actually for quite a while. Um, which was a combination of relationship AI and a person that actually did this at, at uh, my last company would do this for me and spend an inordinate amount of time literally doing what we now have software to do named Rachel. So an AI version of that was really what we're trying to do, where if you have, I think that the label or the job title used to be social secretary or something like that, you know, like 80 years ago. Yeah. People that manage your relationships in your network and write all this stuff down is obviously pre CRMs and all of those things. So <clears throat> trying to figure out how do we capture all of that in one, in one word, um, came up with Strata. Love it. So, so you, your previous company, it was called feedback loop. Is that right? You got it. And feedback loop is still around. Still around. So we have about half the fortune 100 as clients. We help them with figuring out what their customers want. You know, we talk about things like putting the customer first. Uh, we actually have a platform to do that. So <clears throat> we have about 110 million users you can test any idea against in real time. So you want to find out what, you know, what challenges people have ordering food on an app. Easy enough, especially if it's your own app. But you want to find out what people that don't use those apps, why don't they use them? Hmm. Right? Or that. if you had this idea or this concept, this prototype, this product, Let's get those people to use that product and get some feedback. Mm -hmm. And you do that in a matter of hours. 
Very cool. Well, uh, I'd love to learn more more about feedback loop. Sounds like it could be very helpful in our world over here. But, um, you know, let let me ask you. So you you're a founder of these couple of companies. You know, you're a successful guy. uh, But, you know, here at Triple G, we like to think about, you know, pragmatic, practical, you know, results oriented thinking. Uh, And uh, as part of that, we're usually presented with challenges uh or issues to solve um in your case what are the biggest challenges that you've faced in your career on this on this wild journey that you've had yeah it's i mean career is one question and then strata is another question and it's really COVID is that other with the you know legally required disclaimer um (laughs) so i'd say the biggest challenge in my career is kind of this problem is staying in touch with people is really like staying close to people even, uh, especially when I don't see them that often. It's people that I only see at conferences in Europe, for example, that live in New York. And we see each other there and we're like, we should stay in touch or at some event or whatever it might be. Uh, and it's just so frustrating that I know that there are hundreds, if not thousands of things that should have happened that didn't because I didn't send an email, right? And um, just that extra little bit just didn't happen. And it's not a problem per se, but it's a huge pain point frustration and, and something I wish was, uh, was different. So that's the biggest problem I've had in my career, especially because I've lived in a few places, I travel a lot uh, and, and have these sort of different circles that don't really have a lot of overlap. So <clears throat> managing them all is just a huge pain. When do you see the, Oh, Keep going. I was going to say, and then, and then really for the last two years, building a culture from scratch without seeing people in real life. Yeah. You know, it's related, it, it has been tough, right? Not seeing people in real life has been tough. Even yeah. though you have the, the answer to it, it's <laughs> been tough. It's hard to replace, right? Exactly. Especially your coworkers where, you know, they might be going through something and fine, but you could talk about it, but it's kind of abstract. Yes. And you sit across the table and you have lunch together, even like doesn't like the most casual, like little thing is is just orders of magnitude better than Zoom. We saw this uh, firsthand. We went to uh, CES, uh, which was a big question mark to everybody. And there were a lot of big companies that pulled out, but we stayed, uh, you know, pedal to the metal all the way. uh, And we had a phenomenal uh, experience. But uh, you know, I had been working with some of my clients who were in the room with us for two years and I had never met them. I mean, I thought they were taller. I thought they were shorter. <laughs> I had no idea. Right. Yeah. But we got in the room together and the magic that we were able to create, it didn't matter that there were less people than normal or whatever. We had the right people in the room and we were able to, you know, transact business in, in a different way. Right. So, yeah. You know, it just goes to show you how amazing it is to get together in person. Hopefully I'll get together with you one of these days in person. Be pretty awesome. But here's my next question for you. Where do you see the future of work? Where do you see things uh, going? I mean, you're a tech leader. You're somebody who's changing the way we work and building relationships in the digital space. Like, you know, where do you see it going? So I think the biggest change um, so COVID has accelerated so much. I mean, the joke in the enterprise space is you have uh, 
it's like a strategy meet strategy meeting of like what's going to drive digital transformation and it's going to be this or that or that and then of course the answer two years later is COVID. right like overnight it digitally transformed now i don't think people are really working that differently so i think what's going to happen is a different relationship and it sounds like kind of what you're doing too actually of you to your job where it's more um it's not transactional but it's more episodic <clears throat> you sign up to do something great now you do it then you can sign up again and again and again or maybe you go do something else or maybe you have a portfolio of projects maybe your your business interests and your hobbies start merging maybe something like that so i think what we're going to see is an, a, an extension of like this movement of bringing your whole self to work but I think that really does mean sort of bringing your work into your personal life and maybe having, like we started this with, more of a balance. And I think we're going to see that. I think it's a pretty American thing to go all in on work 150% and like make that your identity. So there's a, a fun question I always look at when I travel, which is what's the first question that somebody asks? So in New York, for example, the first question is always, where do you live? Because the neighborhood you live in says so much about you. In DC, it's like, you know, what politician are you? What, what who are you like? <clears throat> who are you uh, tied to in some way? LA, it's almost always like, oh, what are your projects? What are you working? What, you know, what creative thing are you doing? What movie are you trying to get in? Whatever it might be. Right. So <clears throat> in Iceland and in large part of Europe, but Iceland in particular, work isn't even in the top 10 questions it's just not even relevant like what do you do is like not important to who you are right. and i think we're going to see a lot more of that you know i think people are going to have a full drum kit in the background of their zoom videos at work i think that's what's going to happen yeah i hope so I hope so. We need more musicians. I'll tell you that. Um, no. All right. I, we're running out of time, but I do have a couple more questions. Check this out. Uh, if you, I mean, as a successful business owner, who's probably out there doing all sorts of fundraising and all sorts of crazy stuff like that. Let's, let's change the game for a minute, right? This is imaginary question, but if you won $10 million tomorrow, no equity attached to it, not nothing, right? Just you got $10 million cash tomorrow. What would you spend it on? What would you do? I, I mean, wouldn't do anything with it, but um, if I had to, so is it if I had to spend $10 million basically? Sure, or let's, let's go I, there. If I had it. Yeah. So if I had it, I wouldn't do it. Nothing would change. If I had it and would spend it on something, um, it would probably be some effect of setting up a fund to create some of these things that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. So I have these opinions on what the future is going to be, and people have to do it. And part of what is needed is obviously the people, but also the resources. And I think startups are going to come from places that are not necessarily sort of where they have come from. <clears throat> I think there's a lot of venture capital that fits a certain mold that I think is actually not necessarily what it should be. Because um, a, a VC is effectively an asset manager. So they go to an LP, limited partner. They raise money, they tell them they're going to invest for two years, and they're going <clears> to <throat> sit on that portfolio for five, six, seven years, and then they're going to get them a return, and that's that. But there's a lot of new companies uh, that will need 
I guess, another form of capital that doesn't necessarily have that same return profile that will, I think, actually create the future. Um, and currently, there's no path for those companies to exist. So if I had $10 million, <clears throat> I would put it into that right now. All right. Well, if that happens, you call me. We'll get together. We'll make it all happen. I love it. Um, all right. So, so just a few more questions, uh, and then we'll and then we'll call it. Um, what is something surprising that you've learned this year? In the last like five weeks. Yeah. Um, something surprising. <clears throat> Let's see. It's a complete tangent, but uh, something surprising was how few people can create massive global movements, how few people it really takes to create massive global movements, and how things that may last decades or even longer can come from literally a few dozen people with strongly held beliefs that are trying to do something. Wow, that is a big idea right there. And <laughs> and I couldn't agree with you more. It's amazing, <laughs> especially in today's world. It is absolutely right. amazing. Um, so, so here's the most important question of the entire, the entire podcast. Okay. Ready. It is a time of uncertainty. It's in a time of change and not everybody's having a good time out there and it's tough. Uh, so what's some practical advice that you would give to someone that's out there that's, that's struggling right now, that's trying to reinvent or, or find a new way to thrive during this time? I would go back to what we talked about earlier you know, finding balance, but really it's finding balance in themselves and like understanding what that means for themselves. And then the answer is going to be different. Um, I'm not big on the whole meditation train and all that, but a lot of people are. I'm sure that works for a lot of people. Uh, for me, it's hobbies that are often around food or often around travel or things like that, that for me personally are just what I like. <clears throat> and, uh, and getting it's almost like a sense of mastery, feeling like I'm progressing in something, even if it's completely unrelated yeah. to all this stuff that's going on. So find your little bubble that you can control a little bit and learn something and do something you enjoy, do more of that so that all the volatility outside that bubble becomes easier to, to contextualize. Because if everything is burning down and going to shit, then you're just going to have a terrible day <clears throat> every single day. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's so much of what you're saying really boils down to attitude too, right? Sure. It's like thinking positively and finding your way out of that situation um, and, and thinking about ways to look at it as a negative as an opportunity, really. Sure. I just, yeah, the perspective of this is something that <clears throat> ties together. Another thing we talked about of why staying in your lane is so important, or not important, why that's the default in large companies and how changing that default is exceptionally hard. Um, and one of the things I talk about a lot is how if you launch a product at a startup and it fails, then fine, you just do it again. Right. If you launch a product in a big company and it fails, then you're a failure. Right. Right. And this obviously varies from culture to culture. So that applies in, in a lot of other countries too. But in, um, but in corporate America, there is no tolerance for being a failure in that environment. And yet that's what we glorify kind of in, in all this literature about failing fast and blah, blah, blah. So what I always try to advocate for is reframing it from, from launching something that has to work and failing, like it's just a terrible word with terrible connotations, to learning. 
So if instead, instead of launching a product, you launched an experiment and the outcome of that experiment can absolutely be negative and then you learn from it and then you do it again and you do it again, et cetera, et cetera. So if you apply the same thing, then all these potentially negative things become learning moments, learning experiences, right? And, and, and you're right, it's very much around about attitude and perspective and you have to like look at it that way it's not like that was terrible it's like oh, great what do i learn from that absolutely well thor it has been awesome talking to you today i just have uh, one last question where can listeners find you online yes so there's not a whole lot of thors running around except for except for in hollywood but that's a different thing so i'm pretty easy to find last name is harder to harder to spell but it's my dad is Ernst, so I'm Ernst's son. And um, <clears throat> so you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me in all of these places. Uh, if there's anything to do to help, it's Thor at strata.cc. Feel free to just drop me a note. Um, and then uh, anybody that's listening to this is going to be exactly the kind of person that we want to help out. So if you go up, go to the website, which is strata.cc, sign up. And uh, it's going to be an invitation-only mode for a while. But uh, send me a send me a note as well after you sign up, and uh, and I might be able to talk to some people. Well, Thor, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to to join us. It means the world to us uh, at Triple G and Success at Scale. Uh, really loved uh, meeting you today. Uh, for anyone that's listening, uh, definitely check out strata.cc uh, and be sure to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We're, we're trying to spread the word out there and just spread some good vibes and, and help people through these crazy times uh, and, and you know provide some real practical, meaningful advice to scale your business. If we can help you in any way, reach out to us, uh, www.triplegventures.com. Dot com. Uh, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. Peace. Yeah.